Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, November 15th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us this week is Maison Nasser, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Syrian Love Poem, and my poem, Reflections Under the Lulling Rhythm of a Dickinson Reading. Before we turn to that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of November 16th. From now until Friday, November 20th, you can vote to see live panel discussions between myself and this week's poet guest, Maison. At next year's South by Southwest Festival, you can find out more information and the links at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. On Monday, November 16th from 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 8 to 11 p.m. Mountain Time, Barb Wired Open Mic Series will be hosting their online open mic, and you can find out more and register at bwoms.com. Again, that's bwoms.com. On Tuesday, November 17th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. This is for people between the ages of 13 and 23. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, November 18th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Sydney time, Sydney Poetry Lounge will be hosting their monthly event featuring Lisa Gordon and Dara Byrne. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 286-539-431-356-4277. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 286-539-431-356-4277. From 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their weekly online open mic. You can find out more information on Instagram at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting Nuijinan Scott Talon, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25. 
You can find out more information and register at N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. That's Nuijinan TV. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V on Instagram. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, the Clifton Cultural Arts Center will be hosting their Sunset Salons, Women in Writing panel with Jasmine Griffin, Brianna Rice, Layla Shukuhi, Lauren M. White, and our past poet guest, Felicia Zamora. This will be facilitated by Hilary Copsey. You can find out more information and register at cliftonculturalarts.org. Again, that's cliftonculturalarts.org. From 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. From 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poets Corner will be hosting their sixth virtual poetry reading featuring Kate Flaherty and Michael Pryor. You can find out more information and register at poetscorner.ca forward slash category forward slash events. Again, that's poetscorner.ca forward slash category forward slash events. On Thursday, November 19th from 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Arizona time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting their monthly poetry open mic, and you can find out more information by checking out facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. Four is the number four. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Split This Rock will be hosting a reading with the 2020 D.C. Youth Slam Team featuring Takir George, Charlotte Maleski, Marjan Naderi, Gabriela Orozco, and Kashvi Ramani. This will be hosted by Lauren Lowe-May. You can find out more information and register at splitthisrock.org forward slash programs forward slash upcoming dash events. Again, that's splitthisrock.org forward slash programs forward slash upcoming hyphen events. From 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out. On Saturday, November 21st, from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Arizona time, East Valley Poets will be hosting their poetry discussion and mini-workshop. You can find out more information and register by emailing evpoets at yahoo.com. Again, that's at evpoets at yahoo.com. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poets Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. 
from 6 to 8.30 Arizona time, Equality Arizona will be hosting their Queer Poetry Salon featuring Torrin A. Greathouse, Derek Austin, and Patrick Johnson. You can find out more information and register at equalityarizona.org. Again, that's equalityarizona.org. At 7 p.m. Arizona time, the Flagstaff Public Library will be hosting their Fall Poetry Showcase and Open Mic featuring our past poet guests, Austin Davis and Hunter Hazelton, in addition to Saria Taylor and Rosemary Dombrowski. You can find out more information by going to flagstaffpubliclibrary.libcal.com forward slash event forward slash 718-7208. Again, that's flagstaffpubliclibrary.libcal.com forward slash event forward slash 718-7208. Libcal is L-I-B-C-A-L. On Sunday, November 22nd, from 5 to 7 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information by going to Poetry LGBT on Instagram. Again, that's Poetry LGBT on Instagram. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's Moroccan Poets. From 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the New Yorican Poets Cafe will be hosting their Indigenous Voices Showcase, featuring Lila June, Tanea Winder, Dakota Camacho, and Tual Paul. You can find out more information by visiting nuorican.org. That's N-U-Y-O-R-I-C-A-N.org. Again, that's N-U-Y-O-R-I-C-A-N.org. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Maison Nasser. Hi, Maison. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you, Midget, for having me. Of course. It's a pleasure. Yeah, me too. You brought with you today your poem, Syrian Love Poem. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. As you mentioned, my name is Maison. I am a Syrian Yemeni poet. Mm-hmm. I have a collection called Don't Tell Them. Mm-hmm. My debut collection okay. it was published last year. Okay. I am the Beirut Poetry Slam champion of 2016. Mm-hmm. And semi-finalist in 2017 at the Roundhouse in London. Great. I'm a psychology graduate with a master's in transnational writing. I worked in interactive theater in refugee camps for a year and taught creative writing at the Migrant Community Center in Lebanon. Mm. Um, I'm planning right now to do my master's in clinical psychology on my way to becoming a therapist. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Are you doing this online right now? Currently, yes. The oh. university is in Crete and the embassy is closed. Okay. Did you say Crete? Greece. Oh, Greece. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if you already started the program because I thought it was going to start later this year or something. 
supposed to start in a few weeks. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> you know, all of our lives have been just turned upside down. Do you anticipate going to Greece at some point, even if they uh, continue with the online programming? I'd love to if uh, if I get granted the visa and if the uh, embassy opens and the COVID situation. Okay. okay. So I guess they're not even doing their work online. They can't even continue your visa application online. Yeah. Oh, the embassy is completely closed. Wow. Wow. I'm so sorry. I'm glad you're able to continue your studies online. So at least there's some progress, but uh, must be really yeah. frustrating. It is, yeah. Given all the things that you do, how did you start with poetry? I began writing when I was maybe in the eighth grade, ninth grade. Mm. Uh, for school mainly mm. and started creative writing I started writing pieces for myself and it wasn't until my second year of university that I took a creative writing course in Italy I was in the American University of Rome mm-hmm. and uh, it was my professor back then Elizabeth Gehagen that really like inspired me to, to experiment outside of my comfort zone and uh, I started writing poetry okay yeah. Wow. Do you remember what you wrote about when you were like in eighth grade? I do. I I wrote one piece about nail biting. <laughs> um, <laughs> stories like that. And I used to write about love a lot and what I imagined love to be. Yeah, fairy tales. Hmm. Mm. Well, and I think the love poem that you brought to us now, it still has some. I think fairy tale quality of it because you know even in fairy tales there are some aspect of like resistance toward the love story itself right toward the lovers and there's always some kind of fight so even though yours is much more less apparent the the sense of fighting it, it seems a little bit more I mean, there's still that sense of resistance in it. But anyway, before I just talk about that with you, it would be great if you can read the poem for us. That way the listeners have a reference point. Sure. Syrian love poem. This is a love poem in secret, like a kiss in a garden, dark, with my parents above in the living room, oblivious. This is a love poem in secret, in the car parked, with the seats lowered to avoid evening strollers and passing cars, with each headlight a pause lit apart. You ask or I ask. Either one of us scans the periphery to then shake their heads. We are relieved for a minute, and for a minute we are lovers, not hiding, not in the dark, not in secret. Not despite the city. For a minute we are lovers. We are lovers. For a minute we are. Thank you. I really love the feeling that you give when you read the poem. I actually got like goosebumps. Um, Just (laughs) (laughs) 
Just to be technical, because I don't speak Arabic. Um, first of all, is it Arabic in the Shufi yeah. Hadad? And and what does it mean? Means uh, is there anyone around? Okay. When did you write this poem? Two months ago, or a month and a half. Right, right. What was it that made you decide to write this particular poem? So back then, I was with a, a lover or a partner, mm. and it was a very strange experience because, it's, uh, as I was mentioning before the interview, I was I have been living in Lebanon mm-hmm. for three years, and before that, I was in Europe for four. Mm-hmm. And I never really experienced any love love stories in Syria. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't realize the constraints there were. Like I wasn't aware of how difficult it is to, to sneak a kiss or to to be intimate with your partner or all these things. And this person that I've been seeing for about a month, the things were accumulating where we would only meet in his car around the edge of the city, around the old part of the city, and we would lower the seat and get to cuddle or kiss and, and be in constant fear of someone passing by. And that was our only escape or in the garden beneath my house in the dark after sunset. But the, the, the element of fear that's just so prevalent, mm-hmm. uh, it just really struck me. You yeah. know, right. So this is something that's no longer this relationship. Is that right? Yeah, it ended uh, a few weeks ago. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're comfortable telling us how this feeling of secrecy, this need to hide, if that caused the breakup. I can see many situations where that would cause a breakup, especially for someone like myself that isn't used to this. Mm. But in this specific relationship, it was more just the fact that we weren't compatible and that I moved cities, I moved to Damascus. Mm. I know the backstory, but can you tell us a little bit about how you are now in Syria? So I was born and raised here until I was 17. Okay. And then I moved abroad, and early this year, I attended an engagement party in Latakia, my mother's hometown, mm. the coastal city, mm. and the COVID happened, yeah. and lockdown began, and I couldn't go back, and the borders now have strict uh, policies on returning, mm. so yeah. Wow. As you said, you never had an intimate relationship when you were in your home country so you only like had these experiences when you were abroad and uh, since you've written love poems since you were young i I wonder how you feel about in comparison this poem to let's say the poems you were thinking about when when uh, you were young when you first started writing them and thinking about them as fairy tales I guess if I, as a child, were to read this poem, I wouldn't really see where the love part is, you know? Like, what's, what's, where is the love in hiding? Where is the love in fear? Where is the love in secrecy? To me, love was this grand concept of this prince that will come and save you, not someone who would 
you you together would have to face the complications of life where like I was too young to realize the little obstacles in life that people partners couples face together especially in a society like this one mm. so it I guess it would have gone above my head like I wouldn't have understood it mm. okay well you talk about this idea of you know, as a child writing love poems that are similar to fairy tales. And when you describe the fairy tales, they sound more like the, you know, like the Brothers Grimm, like more the European type of fairy tales. Whereas when I was a kid, I I read A Thousand and One Nights, or my parents uh, read to me A Thousand and One Nights. And that's kind of my association with the Middle East. And obviously, the Middle East is not one thing. So I, I wonder um, if you've had those influences as well and how that plays into your your perception of love. Right. Surprisingly, I think I can only speak for myself, but I think quite a number of young people in the Middle East grew up to Western culture, to Disney, these concepts, Cinderella, to all of that, especially since television and the internet came around. Mm-hmm. The influence has been western influence of media has just been really through the roof you know like yeah films and television shows and all of that right. and so I, I i was more influenced by cinderella than i was by a thousand and one nights for example like i only found out about a thousand and one nights growing up later much later in life mm. but the basic like mental nutrients that we got were western right which is Again, for somebody like me, like I have not visited the Middle East and I would love to because there is so much to me, so much history there, so much cultures. It's so rich. And so it's it's really interesting to hear the influence, Western influence is so pervasive. I mean, even when I met you online through poetry, I was more taken aback at how much Western influence there was and how incredibly similar from the online poets I've met the cultural reference points are. So it's it's great to like have a better understanding in talking with you to see where how uh, sort of the <laughs> cultural hegemony of the West is is playing out. Um, yeah. Because I, I always knew that Hollywood was a big machine and it was, you know, like exporting a lot of uh, media, uh, globally speaking. I just didn't know how pervasive that was. Huh. Since you do interactive theater, I think you told me you didn't do it in Syria. What kind of local artistic scene are you guys building when you were building it? before this COVID shutdown? Uh, I was building it in Lebanon, right. to be honest. I had a project, well, I have a project called Sidewalk Beirut. Mm-hmm. And it's a weekly open mic. And we started three years ago. Mm-hmm. There is that contribution to the already established poetry scene in Lebanon, which is uh, pretty old and rich. Mm. Uh, as for Syria, I can't really speak for Syria because uh, I'm new here, right. and I'm not sure what the local scene is like yet. Right, right. 
So you haven't been able to find anything online in, in terms of local Syrian poets? Uh-uh. Okay. When you wrote your poem, you know, a Syrian love poem, and when you talk about the secrecy, how does the current events affect the secrecy? Though you have no comparison, really, right? But is this a secrecy that you felt between you and your past lover? Or is this a secrecy that other people kind of told you don't be in the open? It's more societal. It's not accepted, for example, to hold your partner's hand in public or to kiss them in public. Of course, the mentalities vary between closed-minded to open-minded, but regardless of how open-minded you might find a family in Syria, at least in my experience, Mm-hmm. To be, they won't tolerate things like premarital sex, like issues like this, you know, that are society, like socially uh, unacceptable and associated with shame and associated with bad reputation. Mm, okay. So chastity is still a very, well, at least for the women. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how, as a woman... How do you feel the concept of chastity is applied to women in comparison to men? It's just totally hypocritical. A man is applauded for having so much sexual history, and then when he is to marry, he will specifically look for a virgin, and mm. we will not. For example, he will have sexual relations with his lover, but as soon as he does, he will discard her as a possible wife because. She is the type to have sexual relations with firstly. So it's, uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy there. And still, it's still medieval, like the way they associate the hymen with pride and associate the hymen with a, world, a family's worth, not, not only the woman's worth alone, but the whole family's worth. Right. So. Which is kind of ironic, right? Because then how do the men find lovers, right, if all the women are chaste? Mm, exactly. <laughs> I think one of the great things about sex or sexual experience comes from knowing ourselves and knowing what we like and get getting to know each other and what each other likes. So even for the men to settle down with a virgin, I mean, it cannot be all that great. Yeah, the problem is how they view sex, you know, they don't view sex, uh, as you said, as an experience for exploration, for bonding, for intimacy. Uh, It becomes a duty, I guess, to them, or just for procreation, or, you know, with their wives, while they they might continue to experience pleasure outside of their marriage with other women. Okay, okay, so it's like two separate worlds. Mm. Okay. I was just discussing this with a friend today about how common it is. There's a stereotype in, in, in Syria, at least, of uh, the married man who's sleeping with his secretary. It's completely okay. It's almost like normalized that a married man has extramarital relations. It's, it's, it's accepted, you know? Right, right. And um, if the secretary was married... I don't know. I don't 
another question. Uh, I don't know how that would pay out. <laughs> so it almost seems like secretary is a stand-in for another role for women, a role that's looked down upon because the association with secretary is a lover. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why a lot of women are skeptical when it comes to like work that job because they're worried that that could pay out the other way. Of course, I'm not generalizing. I'm not saying that um, I am generalizing, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I am totally generalizing. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is less about specific cases and more it's about like a mindset in society that that's acceptable. Right, you know? right. That it's not that big of a deal if we were to put another one. Right, right. Then, again, you don't have as much uh, work experience, I guess, in Syria. Of what you know, can you tell us about how uh, is work viewed for women and how available is it to women? Do they, are there all kinds of roles uh, available for women or are they more subordinate roles? Politics aside, because you find women in positions of power mm-hmm. uh, as politicians. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the business world, I've noticed that it's much more the female plays the subordinate subordinate role than a leadership role. Like uh, it's not very common to find a head manager as a female, but you find her as a supervisor. You know. You can find her as a secretary. You can find her as a maybe a manager even, but just not the the, the top role of, of any industry or any workforce. Right. That's what I've noticed. Okay. But it's it's normalized. Like it's no longer an issue for women to work. It used to be, but now it's it's completely normalized. Women work. Uh, married women work. Mothers work. So it's it's more common now. Right, right. So then there there are women climbing up the corporate ladder, as it were. It's just they haven't been able to climb very far. Yeah. Okay. Because of this reputational thing, this culturally, um, like, uh, kind of accepted uh, bosses sleeping with their secretaries thing. Um, do you know of, in terms of, the things I've you heard maybe within your family or friends in Syria, how common it is for something like sexual harassment to take place. I think it's widely underreported. Mm. I can only say that because I haven't heard stories, and I'm sure it exists, but I'm sure there is this culture of uh, uh, pressure to keep uh, a woman silent, you know? Right, right. And there's also the, you know, going back to the idea of shame uh, when it comes to women and sexual experience, it feels like even culturally uh, at large, even if she were to speak out, it would actually reflect badly on her. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Right. Have your parents heard, do they read your poems or do they listen to your poems? Do you show them your poems? 
not 3D. Some of them I show them, but the, the ones that I think are more general, um, <laughs> I show them. But I've gotten into quite a lot of conflict with my parents uh, about the nature of my writing, the fact that I write about love and sex in a somewhat explicit manner. Mm. And is this something that um, is happening now, or did it happen before you live, went to live abroad as well? No, I would say it was during and after I came back. Okay. Yeah. Um, in one of my poems, I mentioned, and I, I edited it now for, to publish it, because we got into a huge argument over it, but... Uh, I mentioned losing my virginity and my hymen, and mm-hmm. it was a real issue yeah. for my mother, who, who knows about that. Um, she had me strike out that line before I published my book. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. So I guess there is a sense of hope on your parents' part that you would still marry somebody in Syria? Uh, yeah, there is hope. I would say so, yeah. How do you feel about that? I think I I have to be very reasonable and say that I think my my mother specifically my father is in the dark about all these matters. But <laughs> my mother um, finding out about me losing my virginity and at first her wanting me to get a hymen reconstruction mm. and asking me to not ever speak about it to anyone. And I think she's made quite a progress in her in her mindset, and she's no longer in denial about it. At the same time, I'm not opposed to if I meet someone with a similar mentality like mine. Uh, I don't mind if they're Syrian, if they're Lebanese, if they're American, if they're Nigerian, if they're Chinese. To me, what matters is if we connect mentally. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very important to find uh, somebody with whom you have the compatibility, you know, on many levels for a good marriage or long term relationship. At the same time, because of this like prevalence uh, of looking down on women who might not have an intact hymen, and and I think you know you uh, studying um, psychology or. Uh, sorry, did you say clinical or I forget? Yeah, uh, I'm about to start my master's in clinical psychology. Right, and I, I think just in preparation for it, you know that hymens could be broken very easily and not by sexual activity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so those poor women who you know have kept themselves quote unquote chaste, yet somehow have a hy- broken hymen are must face this enormous prejudice and people must accuse them of things that they've never done. Yeah. In some parts of uh, the Middle East, uh, I would say maybe even Syria, the wedding night, the woman is required to, to show the, the piece of cloth with blood on it. Mm. And as you said, like, that's that's quite an issue. I don't know how women who have lost their hymen otherwise uh, have dealt with it, but it's quite an issue. Right, right. 
yeah, that must be incredibly difficult for them. And it's really, again, unfair. Um, uh-huh. So how long did this relationship last? Which relationship? The relationship described in this poem. About a month. It was a very short one. Okay, okay. Because of all, all this, this societal pressure, how do you even find someone to date? It's difficult. Uh, I met someone recently on a dating app, Mm. so there's that, they're not super common, but uh, I did manage to meet someone, other people meet uh, their partners, I guess, at the same university they study, or uh, through friends, or, yeah. Right, right. So the cultural pressures hasn't obviously stopped people from meeting. And it hasn't, you know, the, these are all the ways in which any, I think, people, you know, in Italy or Lebanon or the U.S. also meet their partners. Um, mm. So, you know, we still somehow love or maybe maybe sexual <laughs> like hormones still find a way. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, you find lovers in uh, cafes streets and parks they're just not uh, publicly affectionate uh, as they right right what you have given us with your poem is sort of a look behind what is the public face of what's culturally acceptable Uh. you've basically brought us into the secret Syrian society as it were yeah (laughs) I'm glad to have done that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very difficult for anyone who does not know a culture who visit it even just uh, for tourist reasons to get a real sense of any particular culture, any depth of like what it's like, unless they already know people in the country who can share this information, basically. Have you shown your parents this particular poem? No, I haven't. Is this something that you plan to publish as well? In which case, they will see it, right? Yeah, I do plan to publish it in my upcoming book. My mother knew about that poem with the hymen because it was the the one I won the competition with. Oh, okay. So she heard it before, but uh, my parents haven't read my book. Okay. Um, for two reasons, my father's English isn't quite, my, both of my parents' English isn't quite proficient enough, and mm-hmm. uh, because there's a established trust, like she asked me before I published whether there was uh, anything to talk about sex, and I said no, but there was. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think your mom but, is, um, she knows that you have something? But she's just letting you, she's, has she basically decided not to probe further? She, has she decided to? Not to probe further. Like, she has a sense that you probably have, you know, are talking about sex in your poetry and just decided to, like, you know, open one eye and close one eye, sort of. Yeah, maybe. I did take out that line, which I thought was the most explicit. The rest are pretty implicit. Mm. But 
maybe as you said, she, she, although no, I, I, I don't think so. I think, um, I don't know. I think to an extent this, she's come to accept uh, that I'm stubborn enough and she's come to trust that I won't harm the family. Mm-hmm. So in, in my writings about sex, if you, if you read my first book, um, I don't, like you, like you cannot pinpoint that it's about sex as much. I don't mention the word sex. It's more about uh, implicit sexualism content. Right. Okay. So the sense of secrecy, the sense of hiding something, uh, a feeling, love relationship is like the theme that I picked up um, when I send you my poem, which is called uh. Reflections Under the Lulling Rhythm of a Dickinson Reading. So I'm going to read that now, and we can talk about it afterwards. The burn of a whizzing bullet, the sting from a scorpion's tail, the mirth of realization that time was taken for retaliation after silence stunned the pride of one seeking to please, though it cannot be broken as vows exchange bound the bystander as the partaker. Love's demand for monogamy, like a tyrant's rant or loyalty, persists to gnaw the straying limb of thought, though subverted to brush stealthy, like a guilty breeze still reaching in dainty fingers, hoping to steal sweet crumbs of delight unnoticed. Beautiful. Thank you. I was wondering if you could tell me more about what's behind the poem because uh, there's a lot of images and uh, a lot of like beautifully sculpted words, but I couldn't get to the core of it. Right. Um, so uh, I was wondering what's at the core of it. You, you probably can't get to the core of it because I'm a bit ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like the, the, the title was actually very much something, uh, describing the moment in which I wrote this poem. Uh, I was, there was a event at the Emily Dickinson Museum in Amherst, virtual event, and they held a Emily Dickinson reading marathon. One of my other poet friends and I were attending that when... I had sort of this thought in my head because I was kind of annoyed. I've had this crush on a, a person, a known person, like well-known person. And I've had sort of this, this is like purely in my head, but there is a sense of shame that I associate with my crush because like I don't understand why my, me at my age is still crushing on strangers. And I don't, like, especially celebrity crushes to me is just, like, it's just unacceptable. (laughs) You can't possibly know what they're like. And so, and I think it feeds into, and I've been, you know, talking about analysis. I've been sort of doing self-analysis of what in my past 
leads me to crush on somebody that I can't possibly have access to. And to me, that's a really interesting. And I realize that I have a tendency to, uh, of being attracted to men who are unavailable uh. with the celebrity as well. And, then, and on top of it, the celebrity is married and happily married with children. So, you know, it's like layers of unavailability. <laughs> so, one of the reasons that I am able to maintain sort of relationships with people who are unavailable in one way or another, even in my relationships. I still feel like I was in relationships with unavailable men. Um, one of the things I do is that I do most of the work, whereas I interpret small gestures as if they're, you know, like offering grandiose proclamations of their love or something. So in a way, this poem is another instance of me doing that. What small gesture was behind this? I was wondering if there was like a certain small gesture or if this is purely about the crush. This is about the crush, but it also is about the small gesture that, you know, I have no way of knowing whether the small gesture I think is happening is actually happening. But, you know, in terms of my past relationships, when they would, you know, smile or be nice or maybe just flutter a little bit for their own ego's sake and not necessarily because they're truly interested, that will last me for a long time. Consciously, I realize that's not enough, but obviously, this is a recently written poem, Obviously, I'm still, I still engage with that, um, even to the point where I am detecting things that might not be there. Mm. Is this when you say after silence, from the pride of one seeking to please, is that, is that what that is about? Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Mm. Is, you know, because I felt like I felt ignored, but I mean, of course, because you know, I'm not, we're talking about a celebrity here who's getting a lot of attention. So even coming from the side of somebody who's just one of a million followers on their account, I'm a very small voice. So even in that sense, my voice might not get through. So this is like the unconscious me speaking. The the conscious part is just very, very ashamed of all this. Mm. But still, I, I feel like the person to me now, consciously speaking, is very much amused because they tease out all these feelings in me. And I feel like, you know, one, one of the poems I actually wrote is called At Least He Helps Me to Write, something like that. Mm. So I'm going with the flow of the crush, even though I find it annoying because it makes me realize some of the things that I do that are emotionally and psychologically unhealthy. Mm. It's good that at least you're getting out of it some poetry. Yes, that's exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
that that's exactly like I, I feel like I'm settling for that basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like okay, cool. I I'm getting good poetry out of it. And I I'm enjoying writing these, but when I look back on them, when I have conversations about them, I do feel a sense of shame, and that's part of the reason why. You know, I'm I'm keeping this very very opaque. The language or the concept. Do you, think, do you think this would help if you wrote about it more explicitly? Explicitly, as in how I feel about him? Yeah, or about uh, several things you mentioned about unavailability, about rejection. Well, I've actually, I mean, this is not the first poem I've written about him. He's really like amused to me he's he's just such a good muse in terms of generating poetry that i'm like i'm ultimately very grateful i I think the shame comes with uh, having to disclose this information publicly on the podcast because (laughs) you know um i like the poem i you know so i like reading it with people i I don't mind talking about it in some ways i think it's good for me to talk about it and in some ways i'm exposing myself to the sense of shame and to the sense of self-flagellation uh when i talk about it because i think uh, i'm hoping it helps me to be more conscious of these bad habits that i want to get rid of from my own life. Mm. Also, on the other side, this is just one poem, of course, I've written plenty uh, from, and looked at this one-way interaction or imaginative imaginative interaction uh, from a lot of different angles. Um, Mm. So I have looked at it from purely the imaginative, you know, like everything's glittery. This is just a secret love affair angle, which is this poem. Or from the other angle of looking, un- examining the what's underneath, which, uh, you know, are several other poems that I have. Oh, okay. So you have written about that? Many, many, too many poems. <laughs> and I was wondering about the introduction. Like, what, what is the burn of a wizard? What is the thing from a Scorpion tale? Um, it's the sense I feel of uh, being, uh, the pain I feel of being ignored. Huh. I am very fortunate to have experienced neither scenarios. Thank goodness. I'm very happy. And I hope to continue life never experiencing either one of those. So. This is more, I wanted to grab the reader's attention, or at least these two lines came to me first. And then I wrote the rest from those two lines, the, the sense of feeling I was getting from quote unquote being ignored. Right. Um. The bystander as a partaker. What do you mean by that? So I'm imagining the scenario, right? That in in fact he is actually doing something to very subtly or like in secrecy he's doing something that he's subtweeting me or something or or he's trying to please me in some way that is both 
societally acceptable or maybe no more acceptable to his conscious and still allows him to keep the sense that he is keeping his vows as a married person as a good husband as a good father so when i say bystander as the partaker he is the partaker in the marriage or he he is the partaker as in this scenario where he's actually again in my imagination he's doing something is incredibly subtle <laughs> uh, and i am the bystander because i'm not in this scenario i'm not taking part and is is monogamy when you mention monogamy uh, is that about his marriage yes yes i am not interested in being with a married man uh, right. i think it's just unhealthy for me period it's like i don't i don't need this unhealthiness in my life at the same time the sense of attraction is still there mm. what do you think of monogamy in general i think sexual appetite is very individual and mm. and you know to me it's what's important in forming a long-term relationship is to match people's personalities on on all levels or as many levels as possible sexual appetite included so for me monogamy is something that if someone knows themselves very well and they realize their sexual appetite is suited to monogamy then they should find a partner who is also similarly inclined um i don't think it's necessarily good for every person in the world because there are just people with a lot more sexual appetite and with maybe non mainstream sexual appetite that calls for different things that calls for different relationship structures uh. so i i don't really know for me personally how i'd feel i think i think emotionally i'm monogamous uh. i need to be in the relationship to like have real like visceral visceral understanding of it because for me i realized that i can have a kind of clinical understanding of something but viscerally i act a different way or viscerally i'm i don't understand it and therefore my actions may be different than my words because of that that um discrepancy does that make sense Yeah, I think I understand you like in in theory I find polyamory to be very inviting and liberating. But in action I found it to be very triggering mm. to my insecurities and my jealousies. So mm. I think I understand where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. And so I think we we never know you know intellectually we think oh this is something that my work with our sexual appetite but when we're actually in it because we are you know every human being is a very complex uh animal we we have many different layers that sometimes interact with each other in opposite directions <laughs> so so it's it's you know as you said 
you know, in theory, it sounds great, but in practice, it's actually very triggering. So what do you do about that, you know? Yeah, interesting. And I think it's interesting that you write about this one-sided, because uh, I too also face the similar one-sided sometimes affection that someone becomes so caught up in the past. Uh, I used to look up to this person, this artist, and mm-hmm. uh, he was very well known. And my relationship with him was very one-sided and I would interpret everything. I would listen to his music and interpret every single word as it must have been about me or mm. so I think I think I understand the sentiment of the poem really well mm. um, and what it what it achieved yeah. and the pain of it too because it's really painful regardless of how many poems it inspires it remains painful I think. yeah yeah it is it is very painful because it's the not only the pain of uh, ultimately the realization of rejection or realization of the emptiness of it but also the pain of shame because you feel like i'm an adult i've had plenty of worldly experiences why is this still happening <laughs> you know? yeah exactly so it, it's and definitely it has this feeling to it um but i mean this particular poem is more in the moment of still allowing myself to fantasize and literally realizing that we're in a in a scenario where i'm realizing that maybe he did do something by not doing something he did something or by doing something very subtle he did something and that somehow you know, again, I'm letting me, my fertile imagination, build this beautiful castle where it's basically a mirage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, like on, on a aesthetic level, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the poem. <laughs> mm-hmm. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's this is why you know part of why I love these conversations because you just don't know what's behind the poem. How like this the language line of you know don't you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, are the conversations were like, here's all the mess that goes into the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this layer, and and the, you know, again, going back to the reason I picked this poem in in conjunction with your poem, is there is a cultural aspect of shame that's associated with people who are enamored with married people, but. Again, it's more one-sided, similar to in Syria, to what you you know kind of felt in Syria. Uh, in the U.S. as well, men get away a lot more with the act of cheating, straying from a marriage, and the women are both the woman who is the third party, who's the single person, despite the fact that 
she's single and she has not made any commitments and the man is the one who made the commitment to the wife the third party is the one to make feel more shame and that shame is associated with the fact that she's uh, enamored or she's maybe doing something with a married person rather than the shame of oh she's uh, maybe she has self-esteem issues so in that sense, it's, it is very similar to the, uh, culturally speaking, there's that, you know, yeah, there's that double standard and it's on the same spectrum. It's just at different sections of the same spectrum. And there isn't, there is overlap in it because there, there are still people who men, especially men who sleep around, but when they sleep around, they somehow, in their minds, eliminate the people they sleep around with as marriage partnership material. Uh. So, so when you said that about Syria, I was like, yes, I know that. I understand that because I've had conversations with men who are just like, yeah, I wouldn't consider marrying her because, you know, she sleeps around. I was like, hello, what are you doing? Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, you are the one who's sleeping around with her. <laughs> like, by that standard, you're not marriage material either. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's very similar to, to the story I told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, always been just unbelievable to me when men say that, especially men say that. I, actually, I don't think in my life I've heard a woman say that. Uh-huh. I feel like we are always raised to compromise. We are raised to do the greater good, to sacrifice, to, you know, like, to be the one to hold, toe the line, uh, to be the responsible one, you know. So uh-huh. there's, a, there's a lot of frustration that goes with that. And obviously the other link to your poem is the sense of secrecy. You know, uh-huh. even... Even if this imagined scenario was real, there is still this uh. sense of secrecy because, uh, again, in this imagined scenario, he is doing something stealthy to get my attention and still uh. stay within the bounds of what he, uh, in his conscience, find uh, acceptable as a married person. Uh, yeah, definitely. So... Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I, I, I'm so glad to find out a little bit more about Syria and also about your experiences, personal experiences with Syria as a backdrop. And also just find out a little bit more about you because I, I think like we know each other's poems better than we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm glad we had this conversation. Just to conclude, I would love for you to tell us about, besides Sidewalk Beirut, what you can tell us more about Sidewalk Beirut and how people can participate in that. And also, if you have other virtual open mics you might recommend. In addition, I would love for you to tell us how people can follow you as a poet via social media and how we can find your books. Sure, yeah. Thank you. First of all, I was uh, really glad to get to know you better. Yeah. And uh, really happy to have 
chat it's uh, illuminated many places for me so you can find me on facebook maysan nasir or on instagram with the same name maysan nasir mm-hmm. my book can be found on amazon okay called don't tell them okay as well as local bookshops in lebanon but mainly on amazon for international friends Mm-hmm. And the title of Beirut uh, is the weekly open mic we host every Wednesday. You can find it on Facebook and Instagram under the name Sidewalk Beirut. Uh, the event will take place on Zoom. Uh, in the event description, you will find the link to the event where you can partake uh, and perform whatever you'd like mm-hmm. for, as, for as much time as you'd like. Yeah. I have to say it's one of my favorite events to go to because it's so inviting and people are so kind. Uh, and I love that you make room for people to just chat about their lives. Thanks. We love having you there. And I look forward to hearing your work every week. Oh, thank you. I feel the same about yours. I'm really happy. It's, it's, it's a very like familial atmosphere. There is. It feels very welcoming. So thank you again for your time. Uh, Again, I really, really appreciate this. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you for having me. Apparently, our understanding of the hymen is kind of outdated, so I included a link, two links, in fact, in the episode notes, which has some more reliable information. Uh, so please make sure to check that out. Uh, in addition, you'll also find Mason's contact information as well as where to find her book. In addition, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, from now until Friday, November 20th, you can vote to see live panel discussions between Mason and myself at next year's South by Southwest Festival. You can find the voting links at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.